Today we're finishing up our, our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. This idea that the Ten Commandments aren't just a, a list of do's and don'ts, but they are God's prescription for how we can have healthier, stronger families. And we've looked at, at all of them, and we come finally to number ten. I know some of you thought we'd never get through these. But here we are. Who said that? Was that Jay? All right, Jay, just for that I'm coming up with an eleventh commandment, and we're talking about that one next week. So Exodus 20:17 tells us, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor." Now, of all the commandments that we've looked at, and we've looked at 10, and, and some of them have been some pretty challenging ones, and some of them, you know, I mean, I could see the squirming in the seats. And I felt it, you know, during the week as I'm studying. I was doing my own squirming on some of these. But I think this one is particularly difficult for us today. I mean, if you think about it, every advertisement you see on television, every commercial, every commercial here on the radio, every ad that pops up on the Internet are all trying to convince us that we don't have enough. They're all trying to tell us you don't have enough, that you're not going to be really happy unless you buy our product. They tell us that what you have isn't good enough. It's not the latest and the greatest. You have an iPhone 7, you Luddite. Don't you know there's an iPhone 8? That 7's not good anymore. And then there's Facebook and Instagram, always showing us how much happier our friends are than we are, how much better looking they are, what a nicer house they have, how much more fun they had on their vacation than you had on your vacation. And aren't their kids just adorable and funny and sweet and perfect? Dissatisfaction. You know, I find myself doing this. I compare myself to other husbands and dads on Facebook. I compare myself to other pastors on Facebook. I compare what they say about their church to our church. And I think, well, how do they do it? How do they juggle everything so smoothly? Why can't I be as cool as they are or as creative as they are? And it makes me just a little bit insecure in who I am. I want to be like those other guys. And see, we live in this culture that's constantly giving us this message that you're not good enough. You're not thin enough. You're not rich enough or cool enough or you don't have it together enough. You don't measure up. You're lacking. You're inadequate. You're a failure. And we struggle, I think, with coveting in a way that no one else in history has struggled with because of this. But coveting has always been a problem. Even before commercials, even before Facebook and Instagram, because at its root, coveting isn't about other people and what they have, it's about me. Coveting is a heart issue. You know, most of the commandments we've looked at deal with sinful actions, but coveting is about an attitude. You don't even have to act on it to be guilty of committing this sin. Now, you may remember way back in the winter when we started these commandments that God begins the Ten Commandments by telling us to worship Him alone. And all the other commandments, you might remember I said that all the other commandments are really about helping us keep that first commandment. 
They're all about helping us keep God number one in our lives. And the second commandment is, is a part of that. God says there should be no room for idols. And an idol is anything or anyone that dominates our affection, that demands our allegiance, or that determines our self-worth. In short, an idol is anything that takes God's rightful place on the throne of our hearts. And when we buy into Satan's lie that we can find happiness and fulfillment in something other than God, that's when we turn to idols. That's when God loses His rightful number one place in our lives. And so really, any time we break any of these commandments, we've already broken the first two and the tenth. You see, the tenth commandment, in a lot of ways, is just a rephrasing of the first two commandments. Coveting is idolatry. When we covet, we are actually worshiping something other than God. Now, why do we do this? Why do we covet? A couple of reasons. First thing, we have to understand this important truth. Our hearts were made for God. We have to understand that. Our hearts were made for God. When God created people, He created us for a relationship with Him. He created us to long for Him, to find our true happiness and satisfaction and sense of purpose in Him. He is life and light and love. He is our all in all. But God also created us for relationships with other people. Remember, He declared that it was not good for man to be alone. And so God gave Adam a wife. He gave him Eve. And Adam and Eve were created to desire one another. And God commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. They had a desire for each other. They had a desire to raise children with each other. God also commanded them to manage creation, to, to subdue the earth, to rule the earth. He gave them a desire to work and to create. When He made humanity, He gave us a mission to complete a purpose for living. Really, God gave humanity everything that we needed. He gave us a place to live. He gave us people to love. He gave us a purpose for which to live. He gave us plenteous resources. In the garden, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They had all the trees of the garden. They could eat from every tree in the garden except one. They had all this blessing. There was just one thing that they were told you can't have. And here's where our good and beautiful desires and passions took a wrong turn. Believing Satan's lie, Adam and Eve's hearts became captivated by something other than God. Something that they believed, despite all that they had, they believed they had to have that one other thing to be happy. They had to have that one thing to be complete and valued. Satan planted the seeds of dissatisfaction with God and all of His good gifts in their hearts. Boy, the fruit of the tree of knowledge, that's what I need to be happy. That's what I need to really be human, to really be whole. If I could just possess the wisdom and knowledge that tree promises, I wouldn't need God. I would be like God. And that is the root of covenant. That is the source of our unhappiness and emptiness. That's the second truth we have to understand to understand why we covet. We are driven, or coveting is driven by emptiness. Ever since that bite in the garden, people have spent their lives grabbing for something to satisfy the deepest longings of their hearts. 
And when we look at someone or something else, it could be tangible, it could be intangible, and we believe that if I don't have that, I can't be happy, I can't be satisfied, that is coveting. Let's give you a very basic, simple definition of coveting. To covet is to desire someone else's blessing. To covet is to desire someone else's blessing. And we can covet just about anything, can't we? Money, possessions, houses, cars, spouses, families, friends, jobs, accomplishments, looks, status, spiritual gifts, athletic abilities, intellect, you name it. Coveting comes from this belief that if I don't have X, Y, or Z, you fill in the blank. If I don't have this, I can't be happy, content, successful. I can't be satisfied. I'll never be safe. It's like that old country music song, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're looking for happiness and purpose and fulfillment and value and community and identity in all the wrong places. And we will never find those things in what the world offers, only in what God offers. It's like the song we've been singing this morning. He's our good, good Father. And before we even know we need to ask it, God already knows we need it. James 4.2 tells us, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. I'm sure you've probably heard the idea that we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts and that everyone is constantly trying to fill that empty void in their, in their soul. But nothing of this world will ever satisfy that. You'll only want more and more and more and more. I've been thinking all week of Cookie Monster when preparing the sermon. You know, cookie, 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 cookie. He just, that's all he wants. That's all he can think about. He just wants more, more, more. And it's never enough. Our, our hearts crave to be filled just like our stomachs do. And, 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 you know, if you're a parent, I know you've had this conversation with your child. When they're hungry, they want a bag of Skittles, they want some Hershey Kisses. They want a handful of cheese puffs. And you have to teach your child that, yeah, well, that may taste good at the moment. It's not going to fill you up. You're going to be hungry in ten more minutes. You've got to have something more filling, something that has staying power. And we all do the same things when we covet. We try to fill the hunger in our hearts with junk food. And it may look good, and it may taste good, and it might even fill us up for the moment, but it doesn't have staying power. There are really two things that our hearts need to be filled. The first is significance. Our hearts need significance. We hunger to know that we matter, that we're important and valued and loved. We want to know that, that we're here for a purpose. I want to know that my life means something. We hunger for significance. And the second thing is we hunger for, for, uh, for security. We hunger for security. Every single one of us wants to feel safe. We want... Protection from harm. And I'm not just talking about physical harm. We, we want to know that our hearts are safe. We want to know that we are loved and we are accepted just as we are, warts and all. And we want to know that we have everything that we need, not just to survive, but to thrive in life. That's what every heart hungers for, significance and security. And those hungers of our soul are insatiable. 
Just like you can't eat one meal a day and be done, we need food throughout the day. Some of us more than others. And the same is true of our souls. We are constantly having to feed our souls the things that will bring us satisfaction, that will fulfill these desires for significance and for security. And so coveting doesn't work because it tries to satisfy that hunger. It tries to fill that, empty, em, that emptiness with what the world offers. And the result of that is a famine of fulfillment. You eat and you eat and you eat and you're never full. None of the products we buy can ever really make good on their promises. And when you get what you thought you needed to really be happy, to really be complete, you quickly realize it wasn't enough. And we want more. And so we covet. Now, what does coveting get us? Because if it doesn't satisfy us, if it doesn't really fulfill us, what does it instead result in? Well, first, it results in fatigue. Results in fatigue. And in our push to get more, we're overworked. We run this rat race to try to keep up with the Joneses. And it just leaves everyone tired. You know, somebody once said that we, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Over 60% in 2018, over 60% of two-parent families are dual income. That's nearly double what it was the year I was born. Which was in the late 1970s. In case you're trying to figure that out. So in 40 years, two-parent incomes have doubled. And are we happier? Is life easier? Are we more satisfied now that we have bigger houses and better cars and more conveniences than our parents or grandparents ever had? Or are we just more stressed and tired? Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. And I worry that that's what we're doing. As individuals, as families, as a society, we're wearing ourselves out to get rich. Another thing that coveting does is it leads to debt. In Ecclesiastes 5.11, it says the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Amen? Especially if they're, you know, your offspring. So, so what good is wealth? It says what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. In other words, easy come, easy go. The more we have, the more we spend. You know, people today often complain about not making enough money, and certainly there are people that that's legitimate, but I think more often than not, it's not that we don't make enough money, it's that we want more stuff. We want too much. And that's what's driving America's debt problem. According to Dave Ramsey, the average American credit card balance is $15,000. This is on top of the fact that we're bringing in more income to our households than we were 40 years ago, and despite that, we still have more debt than we've ever had before. And you throw on top of that $15,000 average credit cards, car loans and student loans and mortgages, sheesh. For most Americans, our standard of living is the best in the world. In fact, our standard of living is the greatest in human history. Yet we keep going more and more in debt. Why? Because we keep coveting what we don't have. 
If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet their water bill's higher. It's true. Another problem, worry, fatigue, debt, worry. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. In other words, mo' money, mo' problems. And the more stuff you have, if your focus is on stuff, worry is inevitable. Because the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to worry about, right? You know, how am I going to insure this? How am I going to protect this? How am I going to save this? How am I going to invest this? How am I going to avoid paying taxes on this? How am I going to keep from losing this? So the more we want and the more we have, the more tired we are, the more indebted we are, the more worried we are, and you add all that together and you get the next one. Conflict. How can somebody be tired and in debt and worried and not be grouchy, right? And so it says in James 4.1, James warns us, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Conflict comes when we want more. The number one cause of divorce in this country is financial stress. It's worrying and fighting and stressing over money and possessions. And when we fall prey to coveting, we're probably going to end up at some point fighting to get what it is that we want. Coveting doesn't just lead to idolatry. Coveting can lead to stealing. Coveting can lead to adultery. Coveting can even lead to murder. That's why God says, don't do it. Don't covet. And the final thing coveting leads to is dissatisfaction. Really, And that's the sad end. The sad, tragic result is we are dissatisfied. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And he concludes, this too is meaningless. It's futile. It's vain. It's foolish to think that wealth will bring you happiness. Now, it might bring some happiness for a little while. But it doesn't take very long and the thrill is gone, isn't it? I mean, that new car smell is quickly replaced with that stale french fry smell, right? You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the luster of the paint finally starts to wear off. You know that new iPhone with that glorious high-resolution screen? It gets a scratch on it because you didn't want to pay the $30 for that little protector film, right? How quickly our new toys grow old and we get bored with them? Why are we so dissatisfied with what we have? Why does today's latest and greatest become tomorrow's old has-beens? It's because the world was never designed to satisfy us. God created this world for our enjoyment, but not for our fulfillment. We were made for a relationship with God. Creation can never satisfy. Only our Creator can. So what is the antidote to coveting? Paul tells us that the cure to coveting is contentment. This is what Ben was talking about in the children's sermon. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now notice that word in that verse, learned. 
Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. Contentment doesn't come to us naturally, does it? Naturally, we're selfish. We covet. We want more. We're not satisfied. Contentment is a skill we must learn. So how can we learn to be content? I want to share a few ways with you. First, we have to resist comparing ourselves to other people. Resist comparing myself to others because comparing always leads to coveting. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Paul says it's foolish to compare ourselves to other people. And I think that's one of the dangers of social media is that it's creating massive amounts of dissatisfaction with ourselves and our lives. Because when you turn on that social media, you see the very best version of other people. Right? I mean, you put the best version of yourself. I mean, how many times do you go through looking to change your profile picture and you just are looking for that perfect picture? The one that doesn't make you look too tired or too old or too fat or whatever. Your hair's got to be just right. You've got to have those perfect duck lips or whatever those things are girls do. I don't understand that. You know, and, and we share the funny and the sweet and the good things our kids do on, on Facebook. We don't talk about the temper tantrums. And, and we talk about how wonderful our spouse is and how sweet they are. They remembered our birthday. We don't talk about times they don't remember the birthday and... You know, your husband bought you just this beautiful ring for your anniversary, but you don't live stream the argument that happened an hour before that. And you shouldn't. Don't live stream your arguments. That's not, I don't advise that. But, but social media is creating this, this huge sense of dissatisfaction because it, we compare ourselves to, to the filtered version of other people's selves. And one of the greatest lessons that we can learn is not to compare ourselves to others. You can admire without wanting to acquire. You can enjoy something without having to own it. You know, it's sort of like the lost art of window shopping. We can look. We can enjoy and appreciate without coveting. But why do we do it? Why do we compare ourselves to others? Again, it goes back to that hunger for significance and security. We become insecure with who we are. We compare ourselves to other people out of this mistaken desire to measure how I'm doing. How am I doing as a dad? Well, let me, let me look and see how do I compare up to these other dads. How am I doing as a pastor? Well, let me, let me read what other pastors are saying and doing and look at, at, at them bragging about, you know, whatever. As, as if our net worth and our self-worth are the same thing. We compare ourselves to other people's bottom line. First Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's a trap. When we covet, we allow our possessions to possess us. We allow our stuff to exert control over our feelings and our beliefs and our actions. And we end up sacrificing so much for so little in return. And we have to remember that the only person whose opinion of us really matters is who? It's God's. 
Don't let anyone other than God tell you who you are. Don't let anyone else make you measure your worth and value against them. Because guess what? They are as flawed and sinful as you are. There's only one perfect person, and that's Jesus Christ. We need to look beyond ourselves. We need to look beyond other people. And we need to focus our minds on Him. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul is saying your identity is not found in this world. It's not found on anything earthly. If you're a Christian, then you are hidden with Christ in God. He is your life. He is your source of identity. So when you find yourself feeling empty and insecure and insignificant, remind yourself that your true identity is in Jesus Christ. And when you understand that your identity is in Him, not your Facebook profile, not the mirror, not the clothes in your closet or the car in the garage or the net worth in your bank account, then you'll find true and lasting significance and security in Him. Resist comparing yourself to others. Secondly, rejoice with what you do have. This is what Ben was talking about in the children's sermon. Rejoice with what you do have. It's just like we tell our kids, learn to appreciate what you have and be thankful for it. We tell our children that, but we often forget to do that ourselves as adults, don't we? Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. This verse tells us that God actually wants us to enjoy what He's given us. He wants us to be grateful for what's already ours because it's all a gift. We wouldn't have anything if it weren't for God. As James tells us, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. Our good, good Father. That's who, that's who He is. And we are loved by Him. That's who we are. When we rejoice in who God is and what He's given us, it reminds us of who we are, of our identity in Christ, not our identity in the things that we have. Don't fall into the trap that says, when I get such and such, I'll be happy. Because you won't. What are you waiting on to make you happy this morning? Maybe you're thinking, well, when I get married, I'll be happy. Or when I get out of this marriage, I'll be happy. Or when I have kids, I'll be happy. Or when I graduate from school, I'll be happy. Listen, kids, let me tell you, it doesn't get any better. It does. Just not in the ways you think. There's always due dates and deadlines. And there's always homework. Amen? Always homework. But we, we do that. We, we always are looking for, oh, then, if I, if I can get this done, then I'll be happy. If I, can, if I can achieve this status, then I'll be happy. But the truth is, you can be as happy as you want to be. Happiness is a choice. It's not dependent on what you don't have, but enjoying what it is you already have. 
1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. Don't put your hope for happiness and fulfillment in wealth and possessions because these things are uncertain. They're fleeting. They're not guaranteed. But our hope for living full, abundant lives is found in God, the God who does richly provide everything for our enjoyment. You know, I love it when, when, when we give a gift to my daughter and she opens it up and her eyes light up and she plays with it and she enjoys it. I mean, it thrills my heart. How much more does God fill His heart well up with love and joy when He sees us enjoying the good things that He has given us? Next, we need to release what we have to help others. Because God doesn't just bless us for our own benefit, but so that we can pass that blessing along to other people. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 6 to write this, "...command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds..." to be generous and willing to share, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, if you remember one verse before this, in verse 17, Paul is addressing those who are rich in this present world. Now, you may say, okay, so then Paul's not talking to me because <laughs> I'm not rich in this present world. Well, you might think that you're not rich, but compared to most of the world and compared to nearly everyone who's ever lived before us, guess what? The people in this, in this congregation right now, we are rich. I'll, I'll just share one statistic. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are among the top 1% of earners on the planet. Most people, billions of people in this world live on just a few dollars a day. So the question isn't, is this verse speaking to us? Yes, this verse is speaking to us. The question is, can we be wealthy without being materialistic? And the answer is yes. Because materialism is an attitude. A person living in poverty can still be guilty of greed, can't they? They can still be guilty of coveting. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You can choose to be covetous and greedy or you can choose to be content and generous. It's an attitude. It's an issue with our hearts, not our wallets. We can be as wealthy as we want and not be materialistic if we follow Paul's three instructions in these two verses. Paul tells us three things. He says, don't be proud of your wealth. He says, don't put your trust in money and possessions. And he says, invest your money in God's kingdom. In other words, don't think that you're better than somebody else because you got more stuff. Don't look for security in your stuff. Your security is in God. And don't waste all God's blessings on yourself. Instead, Paul says, use God's blessings to do good for others. And in so doing, we will turn our material things into spiritual investments. We can invest God's blessings for the long haul, for eternal dividends. Acts 20.35 says there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. You know, as much as I enjoy watching Abby open a present and enjoy it, 
I think as parents, we're even more happy when our kids reach that place where they find as much satisfaction in giving as they do in getting, right? I mean, that really makes a parent's heart proud when their kid is, is, just, is just excited and joyous to see somebody else open up their gift. And that, that, that's a mark of maturity for Christians as well. When we get more excited about what we give away than what we keep, it blesses the heart of God. And the final thing we need to do if we want to cure our covetousness, if we want to learn contentment, is we need to refocus on what's going to last. We need to reorganize our life around eternal priorities. 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, So we fix our eyes not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Everything in this world is temporary. None of it's going to last. Everything you have is eventually going to decay or rust or wear out or fall apart, including, including our bodies, right? The only things that will last for eternity are the intangibles, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, your values, your love, things you can't even see. And that's the worst thing about materialism is it clouds our view of God. It warps our perspective. And that's why we need to do spiritual checkups on a regular basis. We need to ask ourselves the tough questions. What am I really living for? Is the primary goal of my life to get more stuff? Is that the only way I'm keeping score in my life by, by that balance sheet? Why on earth am I here? What does God want to do with my life? This morning, where do you find your significance? What is the source of your security? If it's in more, bigger, and better stuff, if it's in accolades and accomplishments, what good will any of that do when you die? And what happens when all that stuff fades away or wears out or disappears? God is the only source that will satisfy our hunger for acceptance, our thirst for significance, our quest for security. Looking to anyone or anything else only leads to pain and frustration. But the choice is yours. You know, coveting will always lead to sin and emptiness. But contentment in Christ will lead you on the path to obedience and true satisfaction. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank You so much for being our good, good Father. And we thank You for loving us and treating us with such mercy. You are so patient. You are so kind. Your anger lasts but for a moment, but Your mercy is everlasting. And Father, I pray You will not grow impatient with us as we can get so short-sighted and so distracted and so dissatisfied. We so easily get deceived and blinded as to who we really are in Christ and that You are the God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Forgive us and reorient our lives, refocus our eyes to You. That's who You are. And we are loved. That's who we are. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.